0: Well, good morning. Greetings from sunny Brisbane. <laughs> Four days ago, I was with one of my daughters walking along the esplanade. I mean, all, all the beaches down there are, are manicured, they've all got grass. Every one to 200 metres has got a toilet. And, and it's, it was great. The sun was shining, I was in shorts. <laughs> and uh, thongs and a t-shirt, watching a myriad of millions of uh, little crabs, the the little soldier crabs coming up from the sand and wherever you'd walk. But it was sunny, it was warm. But here, I've been spending time at a a family of uh, John and Helen Rance a little bit. And it was just so cold, so cold. But we're here now. And it's good. My wife is in Canada as we speak. She's right now, right at this moment, riding horses. I got my pilot's license riding horses. I kept flying off the back of them. But, but she's over there, so she sent a picture, especially to show me that she was actually on the back of the horse and she was still there and hadn't been thrown. So, you know, it's. Yeah, we're we're scattered everywhere. While she's over there with uh, Sinead, I'm down here in Adelaide catching up with family and friends. I'd like to read a a little excerpt here. It's from a book written by Pastor Darrell Stott. It's called Boots and All. And I was rereading it and I noticed there was... This chapter 15 was talking about growing pains. I thought, was I the pain or was I a part of the (laughs) growth? The church in America was continuing to grow with some significant people experiencing the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We were blessed to have a young man, young man, Ray Pedroja, join us from Bethesda. Ray was... A gifted speaker, musician, and youth worker with an, effect, uh, with an infectious evangelistic nature. He referred to himself as dynamite on the stick, waiting to be lit. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't really rem- remember, but if Daryl said it and Anne attests to it, it, it Yeah, I think it was said. Which proved to be pretty true, as you would expect. A good dousing with a fire extinguisher was required on several occasions, but I've always found it. It's better to tame down a fanatic than raise the dead. Over the years, Ray has become one of my closest, most trusted colleagues in the world, and I would trust him with my life. And together with his wife, Sherry, who was pastoring a church in Adelaide. I reciprocate that. Daryl had the incredible part of my life where I found that one of his incredible strengths was taking the Word of God and applying it to my life and making it real. And I really appreciate that. And... I'm always available for Daryl. He is my father in the faith. And uh, okay. okay, without risking shedding any tears. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about the transforming life. A transformed life and what happens and what God can work and do through a transformed life. The single most powerful event that has ever occurred on this planet, past, present, future. I think it's been the resurrection of Jesus Christ because all hell sought to prevent it. The Bible said that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. John 10.10 said the devil comes to kill, steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The results of the resurrection is a transformed life. I look. One of the greatest things that has built me as a Christian is, are you people, the, the church, that has built me as a Christian? I looked at the apostles' lives when Jesus was arrested. They ran for the hills. They fled with everything that they had. They were scared. They were absolutely gone. And then something happened. 40 days later, they didn't struggle with stuff that I would struggle with, that we would struggle with. They went out and proclaimed the kingdom of God like there was just nothing holding them back. They didn't struggle with being obedient to parents. They didn't struggle with the dress code of the day, the status. They didn't struggle with alcoholism, drugs, pornography. They just didn't struggle with those things. They just went out. They didn't struggle with programs, plans, promotions, production, performance, protocol. They just went out and they did it. It wasn't about money. It was about the manifest presence of God working in and through their lives. It wasn't about hyping it up. It was about the Holy Spirit. It was more about the kingdom of God than the culture of the day. And boy, The culture of today stands against a lot of things God's people are doing. I want to talk to you today about what happens when you're divinely interrupted by God. What happens when you say, God, what do you want me to do? What do I do now? Where do I go here? I've been alive a lot longer than what I'm going to be, I think. I was just wondering, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? I was drawn to this story that is about describing a person. There's about 21.33 words in three of the Gospels about the guy we're going to look at. Um, I'll read Matthew 27. 26 to 34. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus to be flogged with the lead-tipped whip, then turned over to the Roman soldiers to crucify him. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire battalion, a thousand men. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and they made him a a crown of long, sharp thorns, put it on his head. They placed the stick in his right hand as a scepter. And they knelt before him in mockery, yelling, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him, they grabbed the stick and beat him on the head. And that was continuously beating him. That, That was the emphasis in the Hebrew. A thousand men continually beating on Christ. When they finally tired of mocking him (laughs) there was a game they used to play it was called Kill the King and what they would do is they'd do that they'd put a crown of thorns on a prisoner's head and they would just beat him and they would throw lots to see who was going to kill him so sometimes that prisoner never meant God God to the crucifixion he was killed because that's what they did but Jesus was a political prisoner and he was going to have to die on the cross. Yeah. So when they finally tired of mocking him, they took off his rope and they put his own clothes on him again. They led him away to be crucified. As they were on their way, they came across a man, Simon, who was from Cyrene, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. So they went out to a place of Golgotha, which means the Skull Hill. Mark 15 is a shorter version, but it said they forced this guy who was coming in from the country to carry Jesus' cross. And in Luke a very short account where they again said they forced him to carry the cross. We all watched the the coronation of Charles III as as Brendan just explained. Some people are born into notoriety. Some people are just known. The Windsors are born into notoriety. Some of the kids didn't, don't have a choice. I've been to Kensington Palace. I've been to Buckingham Palace. And even I was looking at the windows thinking, did I see a hand? I mean, some people are born that way. They're born into Rockefellers in America, the Packers, the Hiltons. Some people rise to notoriety in politics, the arts, sports. uh, They make a discovery and they rise to notoriety, a social contribution, influence, war. They put their life on the line and they sacrifice time and effort, action or words, and they rise to notoriety. Some people have notoriety thrust upon them. They didn't necessarily want it. They didn't put themselves in the position to uh, be famous. They'd rather be on the sidelines barracking. And they're what I call the reluctant heroes. And uh, they'll save a person, they'll do some community work, and and they're interviewed, and they get get here, and they get interviewed by the... uh, yeah, by the reporter, and they, they say, oh, it's just what someone would do. Yeah. And then you get get a person who's interviewed, and this person who's jumped from a considerable height into the raging sea and pulled people out of the raging sea. And they interview him, and he, he's a rough guy, and he says, I don't know, I found myself in there. Someone pushed me, and I was into the seaside. I thought I was going to some people out there. Someone pushed me. I think this guy, Simon of Cyrene that bore Jesus cross was a guy like that. So I gave it some time some study. He was from North Africa which is called today Libya and from a town of Cyrene. It was a Greek settled culture um, it was settled by Alexander the Great, Hellenistic Greek, advanced, they were learned, cultured tradition. And this guy, if this guy travelled from Libya to Jerusalem, it would have been a 12 to 1300 journey. Because people's lifespans weren't too long. in know, People lived to about 35 to 45 years of age. John lived to something like 90, extraordinary. And it would have been the trip of a lifetime. I love getting the black and white of Scripture and colouring it in. Because these people we're dealing with, we can read about them, but they're real people. their are emotions. They're, there's heart. There's desires. There's, yeah, they're real people. So hopefully I'm not too assumptive here. He was a proselyte, or what they called a gate proselyte. In other words, he, he was not a Jew, but he had all the rights of a Jewish person because he chose to believe in God. And so he was called a gate proselyte. He underwent the mikveh, which was pretty impressive. <laughs> he went through the mikveh, which was a bathing... He did everything, circumcised. He was a convert to Jerusalem. All the doctrines, the precepts that were contained in that, he was considered a full member of the Jewish people. But he was a Cyrenian from North Africa, so he took this trip of a lifetime, and um, I believe he looked forward to arriving. Like I look forward to landing in a plane and being picked up by John and Helen. I believe he looked forward to this incredible occasion where he was going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and I believe he would have said Psalm 22, our feet are standing in the gates of Jerusalem he saw the temple spire, the gold reflect it would have been something fantastic and I imagine when he came to go in, it said he was coming from the countryside, so perhaps he camped out in the countryside. They say that in Jerusalem at that time Josephus records it was not sure about six hundred thousand was the population, but it swelled to two million. Incredible. Yeah. So it would have been a real gathering spot. So I imagine he would have rose early and and got his good clothing on and um, came in from the country with thousands of others and he encountered this procession this traffic jam and he looked down, he saw soldiers, he saw temple guards, he saw crying women, Jewish religious leaders, there was a lot of noise and uh I don't know, he could have been curious, he could have been um, inquisitive, maybe a little bit nosy and, and pushed to the front. And I thought what did he see? He would have seen most probably three men bearing the cross beams of the cross across the, so- the, the shoulders um, Most probably, he looked at two of the guys. They looked like normal men, but what an unimaginable sight was the third man! He'd been absolutely brutalized. Beard had been plucked from his face. He had strips of skin hanging off of him. His—he was beaten beyond recognition. The Bible says it prophesied that he was. Beaten, Isaiah fifty two fourteen said, they were astonished that he was marred more than any man, ripped, beaten, teeth knocked out. I think the Passion of Christ has been one of the only films that gave the brutality of what they happened. Crucifixion. Cru- there were people crucified lining the roads in Rome, they said. It was just, yeah. People usually died from getting scourged. The shortest crucifixion was 32 hours and the longest crucifixion was 13 days. Jesus lasted for six hours. He was usually people that are crucified or eaten from the feet up by jackals. They were... Fed upon by birds of prey. They, it was a shocking, shocking death. And at some stage, Jesus collapses. But the Romans used to do things like they used to put a thong and tie a piece of rope around the ankle of the person carrying the cross and then yank it out so that it would fall on their face. I don't know. If he might, I don't, could have drop because of exhaustion or they could have done that look at when the high priest goes into the temple, he had something around his ankle too interesting so Jesus collapses maybe and all of a sudden Simon who's watching this feels the cold tip of a Roman sword or a a Roman spear on his shoulder it's called the Ingarian Rite which comes from Persia that the Romans adopted And he felt that across his shoulder, and then he knew that he had to give them their attention. They forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And sort of like in Matthew 5, it talks about when Jesus said, you know, if if they get you to, Roman soldier gets you to carry something one mile, go two. Well, he knew that it was. And I was trying to think, how, how do you think he felt doing that here? He was going to go celebrate the Passover, and all of a sudden they said, pick up the cross. Pick that up, they, they unwrapped it from Jesus, and they put it on his back. Romans didn't talk about crucifixion, it was a lowly death. The only way a person who was a Roman. Could be crucified as by edict of the emperor. How do you think he felt? The Bible says, Cursed is everyone on a tree. If he got in contact with death and blood, he would have been defiled. That means he couldn't celebrate Passover at the time that he wanted to celebrate Passover. He was defiled. He had to wash his clothes. He was being identified with. He, did, we can read the end of the chapter. He didn't read the end of the chapter. All of a sudden, he had to carry a cross. Well, I think he. I think he was angry. I think he. I think he was embarrassed to be in that part of a procession, because he knew that he would to get cleansed. I think he was most probably a little bit angry little bit, bit bitter, because he had to put this thing on his back and be identified with—he didn't know who. Now I'm sure, if we all went back in time, I'm sure we'd carry the cross for Jesus. He didn't read there. He, he had no he didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, he must, he said, "I hate Rome. I hate that no men are free." he most probably looked at Jesus and said, what did you do? What did you do to be ripped ripped apart like this? Why do I have to carry your... Why do I have to pay for your sin? I don't know what he was thinking. Why couldn't I have slept in? God, why me? My clothes are wrecked. Is God mad at me? How opposite of the truth that was. God brought this man all the way from Libya, North Africa, to bear the cross of his son. He didn't come for what he thought he'd do. He didn't read the book. He didn't know he was going to do something he dreaded to do that is the divine interruption in his life he, he was in the place but he, he didn't know he was going to do that most of us want to do what God wants us to do I'm desperate to do what God wants me to do, I know I've got to be a good father, I know I've got to be a good friend, I know I've got to be a good grandpa Yeah, I know that but I'm in a place where I'm saying God what am I going to do next? What do you want me to do next? And, and God gave me and showed me what he wants me to, to do next in, in my general calling, in my general, general ministry. You see, I, I have uh, Parkinson's. But it doesn't define me. I have a a bit of a lonely time I enjoy preaching I enjoy sharing my faith I enjoy conversation but there was a time when I thought oh man I'm struggling with just enunciating words rather than follow a thought and I I backed I didn't preach anymore I backed if there were conversation with people I love to get involved in conversation discuss things and I think I most shared it with two very good, you know, Daryl John and Helen, you know how I felt but God said, I was reading about Moses when he was arguing that he couldn't speak and Moses was saying I can't speak God and God said well who made your mouth and that was my reproof I thought well if anyone asks me to speak, I'll speak but if I start slurring a little bit I might pop a little bit of dopamine that will let me speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it, yeah, most of us want to do what God wants us to do. Sometimes God interrupts our life with not-so-nice, a bit hard, takes more time and effort than what we think it would do. I remember Danny Gugulamuchi being out of paradise and there was an elderly lady whose car broke down and Andrew Evans was telling me this while I was in what they called the green room where you sat with pastors and you just entertained them and just made sure they were okay he was sharing this story he said, about Dandy Gugulamuchi he was just drumming uh, in the Paradise Band or Clemsic Band that's right Clemsic was before they went to Paradise, wasn't it? And no one would give this elderly lady a lift home. She lived at Renella. But Danny was the only guy that volunteered. He went and he made sure she got home. And he had to go all the way down from R- Ranella from Plenswick, to pick her up while her car was being repaired. All this travelling. And I think it went on for three months. I think it was... And then Andrew Evans said, it's incredible how God works. Danny opened up the Edge Church down there. You know whose main contributor and supporter was? That elderly lady. Incredible. God goes before. How often do we feel compelled to give up our freedom? And what God wants may not be packaged the way you want it. Bible says, I know the plans I have for you. The Jews wanted an all-conquering Messiah, and they thought they got it when he said, I am here, and everyone just flattened their back when they came to arrest, and they thought, this is it. Peter drew out his sword. And he thought, this is it. Jesus is... Uh... But it wasn't. They got an all-suffering Messiah. Sometimes God answers prayers a little bit different than what we want. This is a little thing I, I found. I asked God. I asked God for strength and God gave me difficulties to make me strong. I asked for wisdom. God gave me problems to solve. I asked for prosperity. God gave me brawn and a brain to work. I asked for courage God gave me dangers to overcome. I asked for patience, and he gave me situations where I was forced to wait. I asked for love. God gave me troubled people to help. I asked for favours. God gave me opportunities. I received nothing I wanted. I received everything I needed. My prayer has been answered. Simon came to celebrate the Passover. Now he came face to face with the Passover lamb. He got closer than Moses ever got. He got closer than any of the priests in the temple. Closer than Peter got, but he didn't perceive it. I was discussing with John. I, I said there was mostly one other person that got a little bit closer than he got. And we, we came up with the thief on the cross because there were two thieves on the cross, wasn't there? They both railed, both blasphemed Jesus off the cross. But one of them made the decision about God. He said, well, we deserve to be up here. There was, I mean, they're, they're both nailed to the cross Equal side, equal distance from Jesus. They heard what Jesus said. But one of them believed and said, He said, Lord, he acknowledged him as Lord the Bible says, if you believe in your heart, you know that his Lord confessed with your mouth to be saved. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, This day you'll be with me in paradise. Perhaps he got a closer look at Jesus because he realised something. Perhaps he was the first trophy of salvation post-crucifixion that came into the temple. He couldn't take communion, he couldn't commit his life to the Lord because he was going to die. He didn't have a life to commit to Jesus because he was going to die. He couldn't take communion, he couldn't be baptised into the church. He had absolutely nothing. Perhaps he was a little bit closer than Simon was. But, yeah. So, jury's still out on that one. I'm just... But think about it. Incredible, isn't it? And one day, there's going to be the last Gentile to be saved and God's going to wrap things up. The church age is going to be over. And that last person's going to come and get get saved, and we'll be gone. What happened? What happened in the route between Simon and Jesus Christ? Did he hear a thank you in his heart? Did he catch his eyes? Did he see beneath Jesus' swollen, bloody, wrecked face, majesty, wonder, I don't know, but he had a divine encounter because he put himself in the place I got to believe that he came to Calvary and he stayed and heard what Christ said. You know, Father, I forgive them. They know, what, know not what they're doing. He didn't say that once because the Hebrew, the Hebrew thing is he said it over and over and over again while he was on the cross. The tense was continuous. But the rest of the thing, I'm thirsty to tell thy father, I give myself. I have to think. He thought I'm more bitter about I'm more bitter about carrying that cross than he is being nailed to it. He's more forgiving to the ones nailing him on the cross than I was to the ones that made me carry it. How long do you think he stayed? I have to believe he witnessed the resurrection, the upper room, Pentecost peace Peter's speech. Why? Because he was in Mark 15 it said, Simon is the father of Alexander and Rufus. They are Greek names. Josephus says and noted that they were known by the church. That's why I'm assuming so much. Because just, just imagine when he came home to tell his wife what happened. Tradition is that Rufus was the elder of the church in Spain. Alexander was martyred near Jerusalem. They found ossuaries. Containing the bones, the body of uh, Alexander. Incredible story. So known to the church. Paul said, um, "Greek Rufus chosen the Lord and his mother and mine." Uh, so I just wonder what what he said to his wife when he got home. You know, he encountered Jesus face to face. Um, I reckon he told his kids over. Over and over. Every communion. They impelled me to carry his cross. I watched them die for the sins of the world. I I reckon every Easter, it was special. And you know something, Simon is not entitled to anything, anything that God won't give us. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Do you think we would have carried Jesus' cross? Well, there's plenty of cross to go around now, isn't there? Plenty of cross. Everywhere, everywhere you go, there are people hurting, aching. If you go out at the beginning of the day say, I want to be there for people, God will give you opportunities for divine interruptions. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. divine interruptions lead to divine encounters, lead to a divine adventure in life. If you need God to divinely interrupt your life, God steps back and lets us sometimes take the initiative to pray, to be in that place. I want to finish with just a little bit of a quick testimony of a guy who was going to do that. He wandered back in. Accelerate church. He wondered what he could do for God. He loved cars. He passed the youth. Nothing much, much was happening with the youth. He loved his cars. So what he did is he said, God, what can I do? I want to lead people to the Lord. And God said, Have a car meet at the church. We had. We had. This is Accelerate Church. I don't know if you can see it. But there's a big car park. He opened it up for a car meet. Ten cars came. Hot cars. Done up cars. You know, fair lanes. You'd be very welcome there. Very welcome there. I mean, all the hot cars. We even got... So, so he, he started doing it. Ten cars came. And, and ten families. And car meets are great because they're in and they're off to the next one. Two, three hours, max. Next time we had a car meet, 50 cars came. 50, 50 cars. So we, we thought, we'll have a barbecue and a sausage sizzle. Next time, 100 cars. Next time, 130. We had coffee vendors coming in we were praying for people's dogs that they were bringing in. Well, yeah, they'd come up and say, "Well, what does it accelerate?" And God used it. People are getting saved. There's an event. It's just gone ballistic, gone berserk, simply because a guy said, "Interrupt my life. I want to do something for you. I want to do something something special." So now it's a phenomenon. Any church so other churches are saying, what are you doing there? So other churches in other areas have got a car park, people come and they're rough and ready. I mean praying for uh, this big there's big people up there, they've got tattoos. <laughs> they've got, some of them some of them feed and you think, whoa gee, if you them they'll eat you no. <laughs> And that's not the men, that's just the women. (laughs) But the thing is, is it just grew. And churches are coming to Carl and they're saying, what are you doing? And you'll see a big property. There's a big property there. We're going to take that over too. So we get 200 to 300 people going through and they're not saved. they come to the church Carl got his wish we're seeing people come to the church every month who are non-Christians families and people are getting saved out of that ministry Carl is happy you know we, we got I'll just finish finishing we got we got a car which is used on the has everyone ever seen Vin Diesel in that um, big car Fast and fears. Number nine. A Drift Car which was the Asian guys, anyhow, it ended up there. And we just had stacks of people coming in. It was a, a freak show of a thing. But, yeah, so, so the contacts are made. We've got... So it's just gone ballistic and berserk. And it's, it's had the... And that was the guy who wanted God to interrupt his life and say, what can I do? Well, it was tailor-made for him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just move in our hearts, that you would take this word. I pray that it's an encouragement for for my brothers and sisters here in this church. Father, Lord, that you would give divine interruptions in people's lives Father it might not seem to be the thing that we want to do but Father sometimes it's hard but God you want to bless us you want to bless the work of our hands and whatever we do we do it unto you Father I pray God that you would just bless Father that you would increase In this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.